Welcome Surveillance Report listeners to Surveillance Report 58, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, including Facebook's outage, Facebook's data leak, the Twitch leak, and so much more. Some really big stuff happened this week, but also not many things happened, so we really get to dive into some of these stories. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And today, we're not going to have our little segment. Uh, We're just going to talk about uh, last week how we had our sponsors, which we asked what you guys thought about that. And we just want to let you know, we heard all your feedback. And thank you very much for sharing that. We got an overwhelming amount of positivity from you guys on the sponsors. So it's likely something we're going to consider going forward. We're going to be developing some protocols. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. But the the fact that you guys sent over all that feedback really made us confident that we can do this in a way where all of us are going to be happy. So thank you for that. And that is the update on that. With that, we will launch into data breaches. And we're going to start off with, I guess in terms of scale, this would be the big one of the week, which would be the Twitch leak. On Wednesday, a user on 4chan posted a 125 gigabyte torrent file containing pretty much everything. Twitch's source code, creator payout reports from 2019, I believe passwords were in there. I've heard some people say addresses, but that one's up for debate. So this is a a really big deal from Twitch's perspective because now there's all this proprietary behind the scenes, like their algorithms and stuff like that are potentially caught up in this. The passwords thing is up in the air as well. One Twitter user claimed that they saw passwords. Some other people have disputed that. There's really no indication whether they were hashed or not. Twitch responded by sending out an email, changing everybody's stream keys and saying that the breach was caused by a server configuration. This is still kind of unfolding. A lot of the fallout has been social with finding out how much certain streamers are earning. But I think there's a couple takeaways from this one, actually. Number one, of course, always use a strong password and use multi-factor authentication. But also, someone else pointed out, this is a reminder that nobody is immune to data breaches. Twitch is owned by Amazon, who... I think is the most valuable company on earth or one of them for sure. And while I'm sure they could do better with their security, I'm sure they put a pretty good amount of money into security and they still got everything leaked. So it can happen to anybody. You just always got to go into these these online services with the assumption that there's going to be a data breach because if it can happen to Twitch and Amazon, it can happen to anybody. And on that note, Facebook got caught in a breach with 1.5 billion people and their personal information posted for sale. This included names, email addresses, location, genders, phone numbers, and user IDs for each account in the scrape. Privacy Affairs checked the sample and found that it was a new, legit leak. At the time of writing, the cybercriminal is yet to deliver the goods to paying customers, which is unclear why. But either way, I think what's really crazy is this is just another number, but 1.5 billion people, that's almost a quarter of the world's population was caught in this data breach. Again, delete Facebook people. Don't know how else to say it. Just get off of Facebook. And our last data breach this week comes from a Scottish brewery called BrewDog, who exposed the data of 200,000 shareholders for over a year. It was 18 months, actually. BrewDog, quote, declined to inform their shareholders and ask not to be named when researchers found this flaw. Basically, the mobile app missed a verification step. As always, there's details in the article if you guys want to read that. But there was a certain step in the verification process that their mobile app didn't do, which allowed an attacker to modify customer IDs so you could view the data of other shareholders. This included names, dates of birth, email addresses, genders, phone numbers, delivery address, shares held, and more. The article wasn't clear if anyone else had accessed it, but as always, assume that they have. 
Those were all the data breaches for the week, and now we're going to move on to company-specific news. First, we're going to go back to Facebook, who suffered a major outage. On Monday, Facebook went down for about six to seven hours. By the way, when this happened, everyone was up in the air, like, is this an attack? Is this a statewide attack? Is this a massive... People didn't know what was going on. It turned out the issue was BGP routing. In simple terms, devices were unable to find Facebook servers. And it's actually funny because Facebook relied on its own infrastructure. So when its infrastructure failed, the whole thing failed. Essentially, they were so dependent on themselves and their own infrastructure. And when that failed, everything went down. This disabled Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp, which included almost 3 billion users, and even the login with Facebook feature. If you use login with Facebook, which we don't, we don't recommend you use, by the way. You should never use these login with Google types of, types of things if you can. But everything wasn't working for six to seven hours, and the whole world kind of freaked out for quite a while. This also highlights the issues of centralization. Right, So you have this one company who's managing so much of the internet's infrastructure and they're down for six to seven hours and the internet feels a little bit handicapped. And because of that, certain things happen, and we're going to move on to our next story, where millions flock to Signal and Telegram after the Facebook outage. Just like the title says, Telegram, which is a quote, privacy-oriented messenger, got 70 million users in a day. Signal's numbers were not disclosed, but they didn't crash this time, at least not much. I actually did have a temporary outage with my friends uh, late at night. Signal was just down for like 30 minutes to an hour, and they fixed it really quickly. So it wasn't as bad as that last time that Signal got a massive influx, but that is still a problem that can happen with anybody. So it's always an issue with centralization. I do want to add to that. I saw a post on Reddit where, um, you know, Facebook went down and, of course, somebody got on there like, well, good, you people shouldn't be relying on websites for your dopamine hits anyways, which, I mean, I agree with. And then somebody else laid into that person and kind of pointed out that a lot of people around the world depend on WhatsApp for really important communications like work and school and family and stuff. And I, I remember reading it and thinking like, OK, I understand where you're coming from, but how is that not more of a problem? Like, how does that make it okay? To me, that makes it worse. Like, these are important conversations that people need to have, but one company goes down and half of the planet loses all communication. To me, that was the biggest issue here. Centralization is risky and always have a backup communication plan. Like, we talked about this last time Signal went down. Always have that backup. To add to that, as much as I hate SMS, SMS is an open standard. You can go with any cell company, communicate with anyone else as long as you have their number, and there is that that does go for SMS a little bit. It's kind of a positive to that. Please correct us if we're wrong in the comments. But what I've heard from a lot of people in these countries that are very reliant on WhatsApp, SMS is actually charged by the text. So there's no reason why you wouldn't be using a free online service. To add a little more context as to why there is one central player in all these countries, it's probably why, because SMS isn't that standard that we have here. Okay, our next story comes from Apple. It's a real short story. Apple will be requiring all app developers to allow for account deletion within the app. So as an Apple user, I've definitely encountered this before where I decide I don't want an app anymore and I go to try and delete it. And in order to delete my account, I have to like log in from the website, hugely annoying. And this often results in people deleting apps and never deleting their accounts, which leads to more data breaches, which is also why we encourage people to go ahead and delete unused accounts, not just delete the app. This is going to make that a lot easier. And hopefully people will actually delete their accounts more when they abandon them. Up next, this is a name we haven't talked about in a long time, Clearview AI, which was the AI company commonly used by law enforcement to tie people's faces in real life to social media profiles and other places on the internet. They've been kind of quiet, but they now have new tools to identify you in photos. They have collected over 10 billion images, more than three times that they originally reported, and they're now using new tools to de-blur photos as well as mask removal 
using AI to sharpen images or remove masks for better identification. So that's just an update. AI and facial recognition is continuing to advance uh, in our society. And again, there's still very little regulation over this process, which is kind of the largest concern, in my opinion. And our last company story comes from a company that most of us have probably never heard of who uh, was quietly hacked. So this company is called Cineverse, and they provide infrastructure for AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Vodafone, and China Mobile, among many other cell carriers around the globe. Uh, I believe the article said they serve over 300 mobile operators, including 95 of the top 100 carriers and all of the top three in the U.S., which we just mentioned, AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon. They revealed on September 27th that, quote, an unknown individual or organization gained unauthorized access to databases within their network on several occasions, unquote. This impacted 235 carriers, so almost their entire customer base. The company has not officially commented on the scope, but one insider claimed that whoever was getting this illicit access could have accessed call metadata and SMS content. This compromise goes all the way back to May of 2016, and the moral is end-to-end encrypted messaging. This is why we are big fans of Signal, Matrix, Wire, I, I guess Telegram if that's your thing, whatever. Just make sure your messages are encrypted. Even iMessage would have been better in this case. Yeah, like, iMessage. Honestly, guys, this is pretty much one of the largest breaches in years. This is pretty much exposing potentially every SMS message sent for the last four to five years. That includes SMS verification codes. This includes people's social security numbers they might have texted to their families and relatives. This includes so much Credit data. Credit card numbers. This is massive. This, this was totally downplayed. This is something that really should have been talked about a lot. And again, SMS, you should assume is public information. Next up, we have research, and we only have one research story this week. It says a blank wall can show how many people are in a room and what they're doing. I'm going to go ahead and quote the article because there's two paragraphs that summed it up really well. The first one said, as people move around a room, their bodies block a portion of any available light to create subtle and indistinct soft shadows on walls. Brightly colored clothing can cast a dim reflective glow, but these faint signals are usually drowned out by ambient light from a main source. So usually people can't see these. It's not like the shadow you can see right behind me now. The next paragraph says, Prafil Sharma, if I pronounce that right, that's the person who did this research, their team recorded blank walls in several more rooms in which the researchers enacted various scenarios and activities. Then the team fed the videos into a machine learning model to teach it which soft shadow patterns indicated which behavior. The resulting system can automatically analyze footage of a blank wall in any room in real time, determining the number of people and their actions. And they said that this does not work if it's a... An inconsistent light, like a TV, for example, it has to be like a steady light that they can account for. So this is unsettling because it, with technology like this, people can see around corners. They can see through small holes into like keyholes we talked about last week. Yeah, it just it opens a whole new world of surveillance. I mean, cool, cool technology, but we all know it probably won't be used exclusively for good. Let's move into politics. We're going to start off with this is another big story that went a little viral this week. The headline says, government secretly orders Google to identify anyone who searched a sexual assault victim's name, address, and telephone number. This is what's known as a keyword warrant. And so what happened here was, I believe it was a young woman escaped sex trafficking, and the police basically asked Google, since she escaped, we know her captors are going to be looking for her, so anyone who looks for this person's name, address, or phone number, go ahead and give us their information, because they are probably the captors. Personally, I'm not sure why this story went super viral, because in my opinion, this is not news. We all know that the government can subpoena anything they want from Google. We all know that Google usually complies. The article says that they've actually done this twice before. 
We all know that Google pretty much keeps everything forever, or at least as far as we know they do. And this isn't difficult for Google. I mean, their their whole business model is based on knowing everything, keeping everything, and having that information indexed so that they can easily search it and target ads. So I don't understand why this story was so surprising. I don't know, that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> I think there are broader implications of it, like the fact this exists. I think it does show a new level of surveillance that we haven't seen, possibly. But I, I guess I, I get it, though. If people were surprised by specifically Google being a part of this, it's like, look, if Apple did this, Google did this, Facebook, I, I don't know why you would think a big tech company wouldn't be helping the government with warrants like these. Well, and also, I know we've covered one other keyword warrant in the past. There was a building that burned down. And the government wanted information from Google on everyone who had searched that address before it burned down. Yes, Google will comply with the government and has all that information. Don't use Google. Or honestly, like even you can argue any like centralized tech company would likely comply with them. I'd even say like DuckDuckGo might have some better protections in place against individual users, but DuckDuckGo will probably still comply with the U.S. government to the extent that they're able to. Yeah, I would expect that. So again, if you really are scared of possibly falling under any kind of surveillance by the government, whether or not you think it's fair, you're likely going to want to stick with something that's self-hosted or via a decentralized kind of situation that's not through a central company. Up next, in Mesa, which is a suburb outside of Phoenix in Arizona, has millions of COVID relief funds that are going to go to high-tech police surveillance. So they announced a $3 million real-time surveillance center for the police, and they plan to fund it by using, quote, public health funds, including the $52 million American Rescue Plan Act, which is COVID relief money. These aren't the first people to do it. The Biden administration has urged police departments to use the funds to reduce crime. Others have bought ATVs and AI. So it's just, this is typical United States stuff. Misused funds that are supposed to go towards one thing are going towards... Oh, man, I'm going to get a little bit political here, going towards things that are war or internal crime, gun-related, crime-related issues, which if you believe that's the right thing to do, then there you go. I just wanted to be noted. I'm the one who put in the show notes, the Biden administration has urged police departments. So like, I don't want anybody on the right coming after me and like telling me that I, I'm like not hard enough on the left. Because, you know, Trump has done things in the past and like, guess what? Now Biden's doing it and I'm going to call him out on it, too. That's how it works. How dare you not take the extreme stance of each individual in the comment who projects their beliefs onto us and assumes because we're not as extreme as them, we must be against them. Yes, clearly uh, you only deserve the human right to privacy if you agree with me politically. Okay, and our last political story is coming from Singapore, who has made an agreement with Finland that they will mutually recognize each other's IoT security labels. So last year, Singapore introduced what they call the Multi-Tiered Cybersecurity Labeling Scheme, or CLS, which is basically kind of like a little government-approved stamp that companies can put on their IoT devices, and there's different levels. Finland also has a similar program. So Singapore and Finland, they got together and they have made an agreement where they will mutually recognize each other's labels so that if something gets approved by Finnish standards, then it's also approved in Singapore and vice versa. And the whole goal of this thing is to bring up the overall level of security because, you know, if companies can put like a little certified thing on their logo for very little work, they're going to do it because it makes them look better and it gives them marketing edge. But it also helps consumers who are not tech savvy to be able to look at this thing and know like, okay, this meets a certain standard. All around, this hopefully should be a good thing. All right, we're going to move over to free and open source news, FOSS. So our first story is going to come from the Free Software Foundation, or the FSF, who has announced a new browser add-on called JShelter, which is designed to combat threats from 
non-free JavaScript. It just provides a list of what it protects, but you get three defaults to pick from when you set it up. It does get, an, this is Nathan's notes, so I'm just going to quote him. He said it gets annoying on level three on Twitter. I don't know why I'm saying this story when you're on the call, but he said, Nathan said it gets annoying on level three on Twitter, but otherwise it seems okay. It asks you to approve each and every script request. Um, it might be good for those of you who prefer granular control over your JavaScript, or you can use other things like NoScript as well if you wanted to just have a more in-depth, crazier tool that's probably a little bit more intense than this. The thing that it has over NoScript is it'll actually pop up and ask you, like, hey, we got this request, and it shows you the full link, and it's like, do you want to approve this? The problem is most of them have these really weird esoteric names, so it's like, here's a link to twitter.com slash whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you want to approve it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like, do I need it? Will the site function without it? But it's okay. I have experience with this next one, too, that I can weigh in on. So the next one is a free project. It's called Locate.js. It's an open source project designed to show you that your system data can gather information about you, including your location, even if you're using a VPN. So the idea is when you run it, it gets all kinds of information about your device and your connection and how long your connection takes to travel. It's really cool, and I encourage you to try it. I was very happy. I use Cubes, and it said that I was in Atlanta when I am not. But a lot of other people in the comments on Reddit were like, oh man, this totally found me. And it's also just a good reminder that, again, privacy is a multi-layered thing. It's not as simple as, boom, I've got IVPN and now I'm safe, although that's a great start. There's a lot that goes into it, and it's just, it's a really neat little project. I encourage you to check it out. Next one, Brave and Firefox are now fighting against Microsoft and are intercepting links that force open in Microsoft Edge. Some context here, Microsoft is being Microsoft. Microsoft is replacing links in the Windows shell with a Microsoft Edge at the front of it instead of HTTPS, essentially, which forces links to open an Edge. So they're pretty much completely working around other browsers in a very subtle and annoying way. So Brave and Firefox came out and said that they're going to add support for this trick now to allow users to still use their default browser of choice. Okay, so our next story is about Firefox. And I like Firefox simply because I believe that competition is a good thing. And so, like, I like Brave, but I also like Firefox because it's not based on Chromium. And like I said, I think competition is good. But then they go and do stuff like this, and it's like, come on, guys. Which I understand. They're trying to monetize. They're trying to become, I hope, they're trying to become less reliant on, like, their search engine deals with Google and stuff like that. But still, like, why? So, Firefox has this thing called Firefox Suggest. Suggest is PR speak for advertising. Basically, what they want to do is they want to inject ads into your address bar. It's a lot like if you go to Google and you start to do a search, it'll autocomplete and try to guess what it thinks you're searching for. Firefox is kind of going to start doing that. When you start typing something in the address bar, they will offer you suggestions. This is enabled by default. However, if I read the article correctly, the first time it tries to activate, it will ask for permission. And then if you give it permission every time after that, it's enabled. If you use Firefox, go to your settings, go to privacy and security and go to address bar if you want to disable that. Your search queries are collected. They say that it's it's all proxied through Mozilla's private service before going to the partners. The data is anonymized, quote unquote, and is only shared whenever you see or click a suggestion. The see part of that worries me. Yeah, this just doesn't seem good for privacy or Firefox. Personally, I would turn it off. I just want to add to, so Brave actually had two, people like to associate them as the same scandal, but the affiliate link in the address bar scandal was technically a different issue than Brave simply suggesting sites in the address bar. Brave actually did this too, and everyone lost their crap. Uh, about the second issue too, the, the affiliate link thing was 
really bad. Obviously, like we talked about that as well. But the second thing, too, people were also upset about. People are like, I can't believe Brave is now suggesting these sponsored sites in this in the address bar, and I have to go into the settings and turn it off. That's why I use Firefox because I don't even have to turn anything off. And it's like, what are you talking about? The first time you open Firefox, you have to go into the security and privacy area. And you had to turn off Mozilla experiments and all the other analytics they do by default. And now they're also doing the same thing as Brave. So, like, come on, hold everyone equally accountable, guys. If you got mad at Brave for adding the suggested sites, you should be mad at Firefox, too. That's just fair. And that's what we try to do with companies. We try to keep it, like, equal. Like, if you do that, we're going to be mad at you. And if another company does that, we're going to be mad at you. Remember that, potential sponsors. Remember that. Like, everyone should set equal standards for every company, in my opinion. I also just want to add, because I know someone in the comments is going to ask, the Brave affiliate link thing is certain websites back in the day, Brave, when you went to those websites, they would inject their affiliate links, so they would make a little bit of money when you visited the websites. You can, of course, you can always go search, and I'm sure there's a plethora of information about this on the internet. But yeah, there's the SparkNotes version. They've stopped doing this. And again, those are two different issues. There's the affiliate link insertions, which was bad. It's worse than anything Firefox done in a long time, for sure. And then the other thing that other people were mad about was just the fact they were suggesting sites in the search bar altogether, which are two different issues. Just something else, we just wanted to let you guys know there is an Office alternative, Microsoft Office, called OpenOffice from Apache. It goes head-to-head against LibreOffice. I recently started using OnlyOffice, which is different from OpenOffice, and I love OnlyOffice. We just wanted to throw it in because OpenOffice hit version 4.1.11, and that's in the FOSS news, so you can check that out. Check out LibreOffice. Check out OnlyOffice. Check out all three and see which one clicks best with you on whatever platform you're on. And then the final FOSS story of the week is about ProtonVPN, who has added a few new servers. They're now available in 61 countries. These new countries include the Philippines, Vietnam, Cambodia, Egypt, and Nigeria. Georgia is coming soon, and we will be updating our VPN chart very shortly with that extra information. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. That should hopefully be up in the next couple days. And finally, let's move into Misfits. And we're going to start off with a couple of tools for Windows 11. Windows 11 finally launched publicly for everybody or everybody who's eligible. You know, if your computer meets the hardware specs, we've talked about that before. But anyways, Windows 11 is officially out this week. And already there are starting to be tools and tricks and techniques that are coming to the light to help you protect your privacy and security. The first one is a popular, but for the record, not open source tool. It's called O&O Shut Up 10. I know I found out about it from Michael Basil, and it's just a tool that helps you disable a lot of the telemetry and turn off some of the stupid features that you don't really need. It's nice. Definitely check it out, especially if you use Windows 11, because it is now oh no, shut up 10 plus plus, which is again free and will disable a lot of the crap in Windows 11. The next one is just an article that says how to enable DNS over HTTPS on Windows 11. I actually found out recently, I'm not sure you should do that if you're using a VPN. But if you want to, or you don't use a VPN or whatever the case may be, and you use Windows 11, there you go. There's a guide on how to do that. And finally, our last story of the week. Quote, help us find the apps that sell your location. The markup wants to help shine a light on how location data miners obtain the information, and they're asking users to to submit screenshots of any apps that ask for your location. That's it. If you're interested in helping with this initiative, the source is down in the description, as they always are. And that, everyone, is the news for this report. Again, we had a lot of fun stories this week. Well, they're not that fun, but they're fun to us, I guess, because we get to talk about them. Um, It's kind of 
fun, but <laughs> I'm sure it's not fun if you're on the receiving end of things. But yeah, well, tune in next week. We're going to have updates to, I'm sure, some of these stories, and we're going to keep up to date with things, and I'm sure next week there will be new things that happen to you. Again, we thank everyone who reached out about the sponsors. We really did read every comment. There were some people in our communities who left their feedback. We got emails as well. We heard you. I don't have time to go through and respond to everyone individually, unfortunately. I just don't have that time. There was just so many people that commented, but we did read every single comment you guys left, and so all of you were heard. We took everything you said into account, and we're going to really be looking into that down the road. So thank you again for all that feedback. Thanks also for listening to the report. We're happy to know you're listening to us every week and keeping up to date. The last thing we ask you to do is to share our podcast around and make sure you subscribe if you're on a platform that allows that or just follow the RSS feed and definitely give us a rating if you're listening to somewhere where you can give us a rating and that stuff matters. Uh, Thanks again for listening and see you next week.